This uh, is my last scheduled message um, uh, to preach. Uh, after 43 years of preaching, um, I um, have to get used to um, listening, and, and I enjoy listening. Pastor Chris is a great preacher. Uh, he's been bringing some excellent messages in a series called It's Your Choice, and uh, he's relating that to the establishment of a culture of honor, uh, both in our lives and in our church. And so in his first message, he noted that we often withhold honor from a person because we know some less than flattering things about them. Uh, Nazareth, for instance, missed out on many miracles because they rejected Jesus. His, you know, and Nazareth was Christ's hometown. It's where he grew up. And they rejected Jesus, referring to him in derogatory terms as Mary's son, or the carpenter's son. And Chris pointed out that we need to elevate people and honor them. Uh, the second Sunday, uh, he cautioned us about dishonoring one person in order to honor another. And the examples that you used from Scripture was uh, Zeba and Mephibosheth. Uh, and um, so, so he, he talked about uh, th- those guys as examples. And I, I'd urge you to go back and listen to that message if you haven't uh, done so. And then last week, and I'm kind of surprised that I got anything out of the messages after the surprise that I got, but uh, he spoke of how an attitude of honor uh, can result in an altitude of honor, uh, which eventually leads to an accumulation of honor. And uh, the example he selected for that was Nehemiah to illustrate that truth. Now today I want to conclude this series on honor by looking at a passage that actually uh, came into my mind while I was sitting listening to, I think, the first message um, on this series. And uh, so later on I looked the passage up and um, realized how much it speaks of developing a culture of honor in the church. The verse was... uh, Verse 15 in First Peter chapter 3. Um, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. And so when I looked it up, then I, I thought, we, we, can, we can go through this passage. And so I want to just start uh, first off with the uh, first couple of verses of our text. And so let's read that, uh, if you will. Uh, Peter says, finally, all of you, Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Now often it's it's so important not to overlook the first word in a section of Scripture. Uh, words such as therefore, or so, or but, or since, or in this case, finally. Uh, those kinds of words usually uh, link the passage with something that precedes it. And so in our text, uh, to what is the word finally referring? Well, it goes back to chapter 2 where Peter presents Jesus to us With these words, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. 
When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. So Peter points out two things about Jesus here. He is our substitute. That is, he suffered for us. And the second thing is, he is our example. And we are to follow in his steps. Now, as our substitute, Jesus did for us at the cross, we cannot imitate. He did on the cross what only Jesus could do as our substitute. He took all of our sins along with his guilt and condemnation and punishment onto himself at the cross. He alone, who was sinless, atoned for our sins so that he could be, so that we could be reconciled back to God and so that he then could be free to forgive us of our sins when we call upon him and ask. So all that we can do regarding our salvation is just believe and accept what Jesus did for us. However, as our example, he did for us at the cross what we must imitate as we take up our cross and follow him. So Peter says, finally, in light of Jesus as our substitute and our example, all of you, and and he proceeds then to show us how that all of us together are to follow Christ and by his power create a culture of honor in this world. And notice that it's not just each of us individually to follow him in that regard, but that together as a church, all of us will follow him and and create this culture of attractiveness and honor uh, in his name. And then he tells us what it looks like. He says, live in harmony with one another. Now that doesn't mean that we all have to have the same preferences. We don't have to all be the same. I'm glad for that. Uh, we're not cocky, uh, yeah, cookie cutter replicas. You try to say that. <laughs> Probably should have worded it differently. We're, we're not exactly alike. And, and, I'm, and I'm glad that, um, that we're not all alike. We don't all fix our hair the same. <laughs> and we don't dress the same way. Can you imagine the harmony that uh, would be created if all the ladies in our church walked in the door wearing the same outfit one Sunday? Every one of them would march back out, go home and change clothes, come right back in. That's women for you. Now, men, we're different. We're okay with that. In fact, uh, Bill Quartermanch and I have uh, an identical sport jacket. Bill, would you come up for a second? And we actually have some shirts that are kind of identical as well. And we occasionally end up wearing them on the same Sunday. And, and when we do, it, it's really, really difficult to tell us apart. <laughs> because we look so much alike. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> <Hate> yourself. <laughs> hey, hit them, leave yet. Bill, Bill, don't leave yet. Oh, we do look a lot alike. You know, he's tall, I'm skinny, I'm I'm short. You know, he's skinny, I'm fat. 
and uh, he has hair, and, and I don't. And, of course, I have a mustache, and he doesn't. Um, <laughs> and one of us is handsome, and the other is too, because we look alike, all right? Look exactly alike, don't we, Bill? Yes. Yeah. Can you hold this a second? I've got to get out of this thing. I'm hot. You want to finish? <laughs> Thank you, Bill. Give him a hand, all right? His wife, Phyllis, says he's handsome. My wife says the same about me. Don't you, honey? Oh, I think you agree. It's awesome. Well, listen, we, we, we don't all look alike. We don't, we don't all have the same preferences. We don't all have the same opinions. And I'm sure that uh, nothing makes that more clear than uh, the upcoming election. Everybody has their own thoughts or ideas. And uh, we don't have to be in agreement in order to live in harmony with each other. Amen. Now, we may not have the same preferences or opinions, but we do all have the same goal and the same purpose, and that is to serve, save, and shape our world through Jesus Christ. And we, as a body of believers, need to unite and make sure that we are in harmony with each other as we, as we honor God's call upon our life. And then Peter says, be sympathetic. That is, allow the joys and the sorrows of others to get inside our feelings. And so when one rejoices, we all rejoice. When one suffers, we all suffer with them. And I I want you to know that my heart thrills every time I observe uh, each of you, or different ones of you, who actually um, enter into the ministry of caring for one another and praying for one another and meeting each other's needs, the meals you prepare, all those things. Thank you so much. And then love as brothers, Peter says. Include one another as family. Now, in the natural, we don't get to choose our families. We don't choose our parents. And I I would not make a different choice than the ones that God blessed me with. Uh, Nor do we get to choose our siblings. And here again, I have two brothers and a sister that I would not, not change for the world. But there are times when in other families, uh, then if you, you just have to accept them because they're family, right? And make the best of it. But we get to choose. It's our choice. We get to choose to include each other, all of us together, as brothers and sisters in the family of God. And so this is the kind of harmony and unity, and this is what Peter is talking about, as all of us to love each other as brothers. Then he says, be compassionate, that is, have a tender heart toward each other, not judging one another, but seeking to understand each other's hardships and difficulties and ways of thinking. And he says, be humble. And uh, we all know what humble is, right? You just don't always have it. If you think you do, you probably don't. But humility elevates others and considers their feelings, their hopes, their pains, their dreams in life, not just our own. And so Jesus is building this culture of harmony or unity. 
and sympathy and love and compassion and humility that, that grows and it spreads and it brings honor and it brings life. And I am glad to be part of a church and part of a family uh, where uh, together we can cultivate and do cultivate that culture of honor. But it's not always easy to cooperate with Christ in his building, is it? In fact, Peter says there's a price to pay. And it's in verse 9. He says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. But that's not easy. You know, the natural thing is to feel, I want to hit them back, only harder. That is our natural response. The fact is that our our evil nature makes it so easy for us to rationalize paybacks. And what makes it really difficult is when you find yourself wronged for doing what is right. Our human nature, being what it is, How do you repay evil and insults with a blessing? See, we don't really want to do that. So how do you do it? And Peter says, just do it because to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Now, I don't want us to rush over that phrase here this morning. Peter is saying that when you are insulted for Christ or for doing what is right, He said, it's not an accident. It is actually a calling from God. Have you ever looked at it like that? Probably not. I haven't. But when somebody mistreats you, realize that's a calling from God in my life. And it's not that God's depriving you of something. He's not taking away from you, you know, retaliation or, or repayment because the scripture says he will take care of that. He takes care of that for us. But he is instead investing in you in order that you may obtain a blessing. That's the way of Christ. It's actually in this, in this third chapter, uh, it's actually the second time that Peter refers to this as a calling from the Lord. Uh, First, in the previous chapter, in verse 20, uh, chapter 2, verse 20, he says, uh, but, and and here again, that word but refers back to something else. Uh, He says, now, if you suffer for doing wrong, that's your problem. You, You deserve it. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So here we are. We're called then to repay evil and insults with good so that God can give us a blessing. And Jesus showed us the way on the cross. He took our insults at the cross and he gave back love. He says, this is a way that I want you to live. As Hedgesville Church, this is what I want you to do uh, as you follow in my steps. So who said that following Christ is easy? Following him is hard, but not following him is a whole lot harder. Amen? So keep that in mind. Becoming a people of honor and attractiveness is not easy or convenient, but it's worth it. And so Peter goes on to explain to us in our text how it's worth it. And so let's go on with the next few verses. For whoever 
would love life and see good days, and who wouldn't, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So he says, if you want to, if you desire to love life and see good days, and, and, and we all do that. In other words, uh, everybody wants to be happy, right? In fact, in fact, we consider it a right to be happy. I have a right to be happy. Can I just say you do? In fact, if you, if you recall anything from the Declaration of Independence, it kind of goes like this. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so, yeah, it's, it's our right. And we all want to be happy. And if you probe really deeply into the motives for why we do some of the things that we do, then you'll find that there's this impulsive seeking after happiness. And that's not wrong. Because God designed us and made us for happiness. But what is wrong is to take our God-given desire for happiness and somehow twist it around and settle instead for mediocrity. Some of you grew up in churches that were so strict that um, they obviously had the notion that if, if anything was fun and anything made you happy, then it had to be wrong. And um, C.S. Lewis attributed that kind of thinking to the Stoics and not to Christianity. And he goes on to say, indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires for happiness not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We are far too easily pleased. Think about that. God wants your happiness. And he's provided for it. It's just the issue is that we sometimes try to find it in lesser things. And so Peter says, here's the way to be really pleased. And he shows us. He shows us how to be fully happy and deeply satisfied. And it's not that complicated. You don't have to be geniuses to follow Jesus. In fact, he's quoting from Psalm 34, and he says, Whoever would love life, not just exist, but love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil. So it begins very simply by just keeping your mouth shut. It's not complicated, is it? Not always easy, but just keep your mouth shut. Jesus showed us how by not retaliating when insults were hurled at him. And so if we can learn when and how to be quiet then we can begin to enjoy life a lot more. So this is not very impressive to think that I can find happiness by restraining my tongue, but it is very practical, and it works. Because words are powerful. Amen? As Americans, we have and we value 
the right of free speech. But as Christians, we limit our use of that right. Proverbs tells us in 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Far too many young people have taken their lives because someone bullied them or belittled them with devastating words. In fact, some people kind of pride themselves in developing the unscrupulous skills of heartlessly cutting people down with scathing words. And I hope that that's an instrument never found in the arsenal of a child of God. Amen? Notice how Jesus breathes life into people by his words. To me, different people, he would say something like, neither do I condemn you. To someone else, your sins are forgiven. To another, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Even the hairs of your head are numbered. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Peace be unto you. These are just a small sampling of the kinds of words that Jesus spoke. And we need to follow his example in, in speaking life into people. That's why God gave us a gift of speech. Amen? <clears throat> Cultivate speaking words of life-giving words into people to help you to live longer. <clears throat> On the other hand, if you don't know how to keep your mouth shut, sometimes you can get severely injured, fatally. <clears throat> In addition to honoring people with our words, we must turn from evil and do good and seek peace. But not just seek peace, pursue it. And so uh, he's talking here about passionately and earnestly pursuing peace. Get earnest about following Christ. Then let's go ahead and finish our text today. And if the band wants to go ahead and come up. Peter says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Now, here again, he just got through talking about passionately pursuing peace. And now he says, passionately pursue doing good. Eager to do good. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. We don't want to suffer, do we? Of course not. But we might. And that can be scary. Years ago, and I, like I said, I've preached for a lot of years but years ago, when I would speak about suffering for Christ as a follower of him, I'd often make a practical application by saying that we might have to experience feelings of rejection or feelings of being excluded or given the cold shoulder or being whispered about or misunderstood and how those things are hurtful and hard. But then I usually also added that believers in other nations have the added threat of persecution to the point of having to give their lives 
for their faith in Christ. But I would usually say, however, in America, we're pretty immune from suffering like that. But I want to go on record today by updating and correcting that, that statement. Because with the state of our nation today, and the direction that it's headed in recent years or decades, America is no longer a Christian nation. And therefore, the prospect of persecution for our faith is no longer out of the realm of possibility. No longer can we just relegate persecution to those godless nations elsewhere when our own nation is very quickly becoming a godless nation. And so I can see where persecution for your faith, maybe even to the point of giving your life, could be a possibility sometime in the not-too-distant future for America. However, we're not to live in fear. Peter says, have no fear. He said, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. And then he gives the key to fearlessness. In verse 15, but, here again that word but, what does it go back to? It is, he says, instead of being afraid or fearful, in, fearful, instead, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. How do we set apart Jesus as Lord in our life? Well, the words set apart are actually come from the same Greek words as the word hallowed, which is used in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed is your name. So what does that mean? We hallow or set apart one who is holy already when we recognize the holiness and honor what we recognize. Alexander McLaren um, elaborates further on that. He says, the plain meaning of the commandment is this. Set Christ in your hearts on the pedestal and pinnacle that belongs to him. And then bow down before him with all reverence and submission. Be sure you give him all that he's due. In the love of your hearts as well as in the thoughts of your mind, recognize him for what he is, the Lord. Peter says, in your heart, not just in your head, in your heart, make Christ Lord. You say, well, the heart, that just pumps blood. He's not talking about the physical organ. He's talking about the heart used almost exclusively in, in Scripture in a figurative sense to refer to the seat or the center of human life. And so the heart is the center of our personality, and it controls the intellect, the emotions, and the will. And so the seat he says, in the seat of our personality that controls our mind, will, and emotions, we must set Christ apart as Lord. So it involves a decision on our part to surrender our intellect, our will, and our emotions to the sovereign lordship of Jesus Christ. And that includes our wishes our ambitions, our purposes, our motives, our disposition, 
our thought processes, our will, our feelings, which sometimes includes fear. All of those things and everything else that makes up our emotional life, all directed to bow and honor and pay homage before the enthroned Christ, recognizing and honoring him as the absolute Lord of our lives. It's a decision. Will you honor Christ today? Will you, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord? It's your choice. It's your choice. Amen. Let's stand together today. Hallelujah. 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 In a few moments, we're going to share communion together. And I, I want to give you instructions in, in a moment regarding that. And if the guys who are uh, set up to serve communion today will go ahead and come forward and, and get set up and get ready to do that. I want us to pray together this morning before that. The choice is to give honor to another. And we've talked about giving honor to one another and what that culture looks like in our church. And that's been a great series. But I believe we also must honor Jesus Christ first and foremost as Lord above everything else. And if we do that, then the prospect of honoring one another becomes so much easier because Jesus Christ is our example. But I want us to see him as our substitute today. That's what we're going to talk about in just a moment with serving communion. Jesus Christ is worthy of honor because he took upon himself my sins and your sins and died in our place. Vicarious suffering, vicarious death, death and suffering in the place of another. Jesus did that for us. And he who was sinless is the only one qualified to be that lamb that would take away the sins of the world. That was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. Jesus is that lamb. And so he took our sins in its entirety upon himself. And he paid in full the price for our sins, which was death. The wages of sin is death, Paul says. Christ died in our place for our sins. Now that gives him the, the opportunity to be just in forgiving us of our sins if we will simply put our trust in what he did for us on the cross. It's a matter of accepting and receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord of our life. That's the only way that our sins can be forgiven. And so today, it's your choice. Will you accept and honor Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord? Or will you reject him and turn away from him? If you do that, then it's very difficult then to honor other people in an adequate way. But I urge you today, it's your choice. And I ask you today, give consideration to following Jesus Christ. May the Holy Spirit speak to your heart today and show you how much Jesus loves you and wants to forgive you and wants to cleanse you from sin. 
In fact, I want us to pray together that prayer today. And if you are willing to make that choice and you're ready to make that choice, and if you're not ready, that's fine. Uh, we're not, I'm not pushing you. I, it's your choice. and It will always be your choice. But I want to extend the invitation. If you're ready today, say, I don't understand all that is involved in it, but I do want my sins forgiven. And I want the condemnation and guilt taken away from my life. And I want the peace that I really know that I need in my heart that's not there. And so I'm willing to entrust my life to Jesus Christ. And if that's you today, just pray with me this morning, would you? In your own heart, Father, we come before you today. Nothing in our own hands to bring that would merit our salvation. We're all sinners. We all have nothing to bring that would cause you to to be favorable toward us. But we simply come to you on the basis of what Jesus, your son, has done for us in the plan of redemption. He took our sins upon himself. And so now we trust that what Jesus did on the cross, we apply that to our hearts today and receive it by faith this morning. God, I thank you that when we put our trust in you, you forgive us of our sins and you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God, we ask for that today. We believe you for it. We trust your son Jesus for it. Forgive us of our sins. Become Lord and master of my heart and life. And I want to follow you, Jesus, the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, we pray this prayer. Amen.